Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you can, we invite you to turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 1 as we begin today's message, a word of encouragement. If you'll open your Bibles this morning to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 1, I am reading through this book in my daily Bible reading, chapter at a time. And a few days ago, I came across a verse in in Deuteronomy chapter 1 that I never had paid any attention to before. But on this particular day, when I read it, it caught my attention and it spoke to my heart. And it's got to do with this whole idea of encouragement and especially encouraging those who are discouraged. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter number 1, here's the situation. The children of Israel have been wandering through the wilderness for about 40 years And they are getting very close to going into the promised land. But you remember Moses had committed a sin out there in the desert. God had told Moses there was an occasion where there was no water for the people to drink. And so Moses prayed. And Moses said, God, we need water. And God said, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk up to this particular rock and speak to the rock. And if you'll speak to the rock, water will come out. Well, Moses said to himself, if I speak to a rock, people are going to think I've lost my mind. And so I'm not going to do that. So instead of speaking to the rock, Moses went over and he hit the rock twice. And when he hit the rock, water came out. And Moses must have thought, well, it really didn't matter if I spoke to the rock or if I hit the rock. We needed water. Now we have water. What's the big deal? But after that experience, God said to Moses, Moses, you have dishonored me and disobeyed me in front of all the people. You're the leader, and you have done the opposite of what I told you to do. And as a result of that, you are not going to be allowed to enter the promised land. And well, that broke Moses' heart. That had been his dream, his desire to make it into the promised land. Forty years he had been leading these Israelites across the desert. And now when they're this close, he blows it and God says, you can't go into the promised land. Well, Moses prayed about it, said, God, please reconsider. Please let me go into the promised land. And God finally said to Moses, Moses, speak to me no more on this matter. I've made my decision, and you're not going in. Now, we read that, and we may think, well, that seems harsh of God, that that God would be that firm with Moses. Why couldn't he have just forgiven Moses? Why couldn't he have just let Moses into the promised land? Well, he did forgive Moses, but remember this. Moses was the giver of the law, and as the giver of the law, Moses had to model the law. And so when he broke the law in a public way in front of all the people, God said to him, in essence, Moses, I can't let you as the lawgiver break the law and then go on as though you hadn't broken the law. So again, we read that and we think, man, that's so hard. It seems harsh of God. But remember this, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he has this heavenly glow about him. He's up there with Peter and James and John, and, and he is literally transfigured, and they're seeing Jesus in his heavenly glory. And we read that two people came down from heaven to join them on that mountain, Elijah and Moses. And every time I read that story, I'm reminded Moses could not enter 
the promised land as the lawgiver because he broke the law. But when we get to the New Testament, he got there by grace. Aren't you thankful today that we don't live under law, we live under grace? If we lived under law, once we blew it one time, God would be done with us. But since we live in the age of grace, we sin, we mess up, we repent, we confess that, we get on the right path, and God gives us a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and an infinite number of chances. And yet, it doesn't change the fact that in Moses' day, as he thought about not being able to go into the promised land, it broke his heart. And so he had communicated this to Joshua. Joshua had been his assistant for all these years. Joshua was a godly man. And Moses had said to Joshua, Joshua, I can't go into the promised land because I sinned. I blew it. I broke the law. But the people still need a leader. And so that now falls on you. You will be the one to lead the Israelites into the promised land land. Well, I'm sure Joshua had mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, he was honored to be the leader, but on the other hand, he was thinking, I'm going to miss Moses. We've been a team. We've been together for all these years, and now the burden of responsibility is off of him, and it is coming on to me. And so probably, I think it's safe to say that Joshua felt overwhelmed by the responsibility that had now come his way. And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, God speaks to Moses, and God says to Moses, Moses, your time on earth is almost up, but what I want you to do is to prepare Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And so, in chapter number 1, verse number 38, if you're a Bible underliner, this is one to underline, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. That is, he shall go into the promised land. Moses, you're not going in, but Joshua's going in. Now, notice what the next sentence says. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Encourage Joshua. Now, why would God have told Moses to encourage Joshua? Well, probably because Joshua was discouraged. Or if he wasn't discouraged at this moment, God knew that when the full responsibility of being their leader came upon him, he could easily get discouraged. And so the word was, encourage Joshua. Here's what I want you to see this morning. If Joshua needed encouragement, then we need encouragement. No one is immune from being discouraged. I don't care how much you love God. I don't care how strong your faith is. I don't care how long you've been saved. Nobody loved God more than Joshua. Do you remember back in the book of Numbers when Moses sent those 12 spies into the promised land and said, search it out and see what it looks like and come back and bring us a report. So these 12 men from the 12 different tribes of Israel went into the promised land. They surveyed it. They saw that it was a beautiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey and all kind of wonderful fruit and food to eat and, and rivers and streams and, and beautiful mountains. It was a beautiful land. But they also noticed in this land, this promised land, there were people living there who were bigger than they were, stronger than they were, and looked like giants in their eyes. And so after these 12 spies had surveyed the land, they came back to Moses, and Moses said, what's it look like? What do you think about the promised land? Ten of the spies gave a very negative report. They said, oh, well, Moses, as you said, it is a beautiful land, but there are giants in that land. There's no way that we can possess that land and make it our own. Compared to them, we're like grasshoppers. But there were these two other men, Caleb and Joshua, 
And Caleb spoke up and Caleb said, well, that's true. There are giants in the land, but we are well able to overcome them. We can take this land. God has given it to us. And Joshua was right in there with Caleb. And so the minority report by Caleb and Joshua was so positive and so filled with faith and so strong. And yet a few chapters later, many years later, what do we find? We find this man, Joshua, who's strong in his faith, who said, we can do it. We can take, take down these giants. He's in a condition now where God says to Moses, you better encourage Joshua because this whole thing is beginning to weigh on him and it is beginning to wear him down. Let me show you another verse. In chapter one, go back to verse number two. Chapter one, verse two tells us that from the place where they were near Egypt to the promised land should have taken them 11 days. Look, it is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Sair to Kadesh Barnea. Now we read these names, Horeb, Mount Sair, Kadesh Barnea. What is this? Horeb or Mount Sinai is the, mount, is the mountain of God. It is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. We could say it this way. It's kind of where the journey into the promised land began. They had come out of Egypt, gone to that mountain. Moses got the commandments. And from that spot to Kadesh Barnea, which is on the southern tip of the promised land, it should have taken 11 days to get there. 11 days. And yet, they disobeyed, they complained, they sinned, and what should have taken less than two weeks ends up taking 40 years. And so in this process of time, Joshua got discouraged, and it began to wear him down. Have you noticed in your life that discouragement happens gradually? Discouragement is one of those things that builds up. You, you can be living your life, everything's going fine, something bad happens, you probably handle that okay because everything else is going pretty well. But then you go on a little longer and something else bad happens and you handle that okay and, and, and you move right on and then you go out there a little bit longer and something else bad happens and then the longer you go and the more challenges you face and then especially if one or two of those is a major situation and it doesn't get quickly resolved. It just, you, you, you say, I've had this problem but, but the problem won't go away and it just... Day after day, week after week, year after year, you still are battling the same situation. That's why we read in Galatians chapter 6 in verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. Because weariness, discouragement, is something that happens gradually. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens over a process of time. And I think that's what had happened to Joshua. The 11-day trip has turned into 40 years and during the 40 years, he's grown weary, and he's gotten discouraged. You know what the word discouragement literally means? Well, you can look at it in your mind and see the, the root of the word is the word courage, faith, confidence, but that prefix, D-I-S, negates that. So discouragement is when we have lost our courage, we've lost our confidence, we've lost our faith, and we've lost our enthusiasm. That's discouragement. Sometimes you'll be around somebody and normally they're upbeat and they're happy and they're vivacious and they're excited about, they're enthusiastic and you're around and they just seem the opposite. They're disheartened. What has happened? They have become discouraged. And what I'm saying is more than likely that discouragement happened gradually and that's what had happened 
with Joshua. Now, go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 27. I want to show you one verse. I just, I'm just trying to prove the point that anybody can get discouraged. I don't care how spiritually strong you are. You, can, you, you are not immune from discouragement. Someone has said, Numbers 27, by the way, someone has said that discouragement is the devil's chief weapon against Christians. If the devil can can take away your confidence and your enthusiasm and your faith and your courage, then he has you defeated. Numbers 27, look at verse 18, because here we read that God is talking again to Moses about Joshua, but notice how God described Joshua. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you. Now watch this description. A man in whom is the Spirit. In other words, God said of Moses, of of Joshua, this man has my spirit on him and in him, a man in whom is the spirit. God said, lay your hand on him. And what he's saying is, anoint him, pray over him, set him apart. He is the one who will be the leader after you are gone. So Joshua was a man who was filled with the spirit. Let me say it this way. You still listen? Say amen. You can be saved. You can be spirit-filled. And you can be in the center of God's will and still get discouraged. Discouragement is not something that, you know, we think, well, if somebody's discouraged, that must mean they're out living in sin. Friend, Joshua wasn't living in sin. Joshua was living in the center of God's will. And yet, the overwhelming circumstances, the negative voices, you remember Joshua was still in the presence of some of these people who had said, we can't do it, we can't do it, the opposition is too great, we'll never make it. And after a while, negative voices can begin to have a negative effect on you. And I think that's one reason God put this message on my heart. There's so much negativity in the world today, and after a while, it can begin to wear us down. And then I think Joshua probably felt like, you know, I'm no Moses I mean, Moses went up on the mountain with God. Moses got the Ten Commandments. Moses, God talks to Moses face to face. I mean, I'm no, I'm no Moses. And I think Joshua probably felt like, you know, he, he felt just an, 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 an inferiority complex, or he just felt an inadequacy. That's the word I'm looking for. He just didn't feel adequate to do what God was leading him to do. And have you noticed in your life when the demand on your time, on your resources, on your strength, when the demand is greater than the supply. In other words, when what is expected of you is greater than your ability to perform, the demand is greater than the supply, that's when we get overwhelmed, and that's when we get discouraged. And so I think God today looks on us. I I was reading a verse last night in the Psalms. And it's one of those verses that talks about God being our shepherd, and it says we are the people of his pasture and the sheep uh, under his hand or the sheep in his care. And I, I thought, you know, God is our shepherd, and we are the sheep, and God cares about the sheep. And I'll be honest with you, I really believe today that God's message for all of us is that he, won't, he, first of all, understands how we could be discouraged. The last 20 years in our country 
have been unlike any 20-year period in, in the history of our nation. And, and God knows that it is enough to discourage the strongest among us. And so God says to us today, I understand how you could be encouraged, how you could be discouraged. It's, it's, it's human, it's natural, it's understandable. But I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be lifted up. And so that's why God put this message on my heart. Now, first thing I'm trying to say today is that no one is immune from discouragement. So today... If you're listening at home and you're, you're a little bit down, you've got the blahs and you're just disheartened, you're not yourself, you've lost your fire, you've lost your enthusiasm, or if you're like that in the room today, just understand that that's, that is perfectly normal. Do you know the most influential, I suppose the most influential preacher in the history of the world, with the exception of the Apostle Paul and, and Jesus himself, would be a man named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon pastored Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England for many, many years. He, all of his sermons were printed and uh, had a remarkable, remarkable ministry. And yet Charles Spurgeon used to get so discouraged and even so depressed that he would have to leave London for months at a time to go to to go to France or to go to other places and try to get his spirits up, try to get his, his encouragement back, his, get his enthusiasm back. One time he got the deacons of the church together and he said to the deacons, he said, men, I'm having to be gone so much because I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so discouraged, I'm so depressed that you need a pastor stronger than I am. And so I'm saying to you today, I resign the church. And the deacon said back to him, Pastor Spurgeon, we would rather have you eight months out of the year than anybody else 12 months out of the year. We don't accept your resignation. You go to France or you go wherever you need to go and get, you know, get your strength back, but we don't accept your resignation. We want you under whatever terms we can have you. And so what I'm saying is Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher who's the most influential writer in the history of, of, of preachers except Paul and Jesus, he battled it. And so no one is immune from discouragement. I think I've made that point. Second thing I want to say about discouragement is, while it is true that no one is immune from discouragement, now think about this. This is kind of the other side of the coin. No one has to be discouraged. No one has to be discouraged. One of the pastors that has influenced my life since I was a child, and I've mentioned him countless times here is Charles Stanley. I'm from, we're from Atlanta. He pastored for 50 years in Atlanta, and I grew up listening to Dr. Stanley. And Dr. Stanley has something that he, is one of the greatest sentences that I've ever heard. I wish that I had coined this sentence myself. Just listen to these words. Here's what Dr. Stanley says about discouragement. He says it this way, in life, disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. I want you to think about that. Disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. In other words, as you go through your life, things are going to happen. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. You may have your own issues in health or finances or whatever it is. Disappointments in life are inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. You don't have to be discouraged. When disappointing things happen to you, you have the ability to respond to that 
positively or negatively, with faith or without faith, in the spiritual or in the natural. And if we'll respond in the spiritual by trusting God, we will be better off. Now, I, I want to make three statements today. This is one of those sermons I just wish that we could stay together in here till about noon, but I know you would all be discouraged if we did that. So I want to make three statements, and I want to tell a story at the end that I think will kind of help really enforce the point I'm trying to make about discouragement, but God wants us to be encouraged. The three statements are three things that you and I need to say to ourselves when we experience disappointment. And when we feel that discouragement setting in, and we're losing our faith, we're losing our enthusiasm, that's one of the ways that you can always tell that you're getting discouraged. You lose your enthusiasm. And that's why, by the way, before I give you these three statements, that's why God says over and over and over again in the Bible, encourage one another. Encourage one another. One of the things about coming to church on Sunday, as thankful as we are for streaming, it's not the same as being in the room together. Because when we're together, we can encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. Part of church is coming and being around and encouraging one another. And so that's, that's something that's very important. Now, I want to make these, these three statements that you should say to yourself when you start to feel discouraged. Statement number one, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. I think we need to remind ourselves when we are really going through a hard time that it's not always going to be like this. I know when my mom was going through her chemotherapy and, and we were trying to remind her of that and she was reminding herself of that, it's not always going to be like this. And I've told you before, I, I, went, I went and bought her a puzzle. She started her chemotherapy in the late spring, early summer. It's going to last for four months. And so I thought, you know, if I could just help my mom to, to see beyond these four months. And I bought her a puzzle of a, of a beautiful, uh, it was a fall scene, and, and it was a, a farm and, and just a farmhouse, real pretty. I said, Mom, if you'll just work this puzzle and let it be a reminder that a better season is coming. And so what I'm saying is, when we're going through a difficult time, we have to say to ourselves, it's not always going to be like this. It's a better season is coming. Somebody needs to say to you today that what you're going through, while disappointing and even discouraging, it's not always going to be like it is right now. You believe that? Say amen. amen. Statement number two, we're going to a better place. I wish I could talk about this for a while. We're going to a better place. Have you ever considered this? One of the reasons God sometimes allows his children to go through hard times as a reminder to us that, as the old song says, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through, right? I mean, if everything on earth was perfect, why would we ever want to go to heaven? So sometimes God lets us get backed in a corner, and sometimes God lets the circumstances get tough. Why? So that we will have a longing and a yearning for heaven as the old preacher E.V. Hill used to say, as we look across the earth and we go through this life down here, we need to remember this ain't it. There is more to the story than what we can currently see. And so remind yourself, hey, folks, we're going to a better place. One of the reasons God tells us so much about heaven in the Bible 
is not just to satisfy our curiosity or to give us a bunch of information. He tells us about heaven in the Bible so that as we go through difficulties in life, we can be reminded that this ain't it, that we are going to a better place. And then the third thing I would say, in the meantime, we have God and we have each other. We have God and we have each other. I mean, we're not alone on the journey. We're not alone in the race. We have God and we have each other. And we learn from this what God said to Moses. He said, encourage Joshua. Those two words, encourage him. That tells us that God wants us to be encouraged and that sometimes God uses other people to encourage us. We hope that today's message has been an encouragement to you. You can find this message along with many others under the broadcast tab on our website, peacebybelieving.org. John's booklet, Never Alone, is a great companion study to go along with his message from today. You can find it under the booklets tab of our website. We invite you to like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook and to follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.